in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. I was playing the money game really hard, the success and money game. And I had achieved a lot of success, I'd built a lot of wealth, and I, I was running marathons, and I was really just living an unsustainable lifestyle. So I had the houses, I had the cars, I had the net worth, I had the money in the bank, I had the status. And no matter where I got, I just was never satisfied. So I had to like go after that next rung of the ladder. The net, maybe happiness is under that next achievement type thing. What happened when I was fighting for my life, all I wanted was to be healthy again. All I wanted to do is fix all the regrets that I was now having because I was never present in my life. And I didn't care about my Range Rover. I didn't care about my lake house. I didn't care about my business. I didn't care about all my certificates in the wall. And then, and then I was filled with shame and regret and remorse that I'd missed my entire life and I hadn't even lived yet, you know, that I was in that chase thing and everything was this external gratification and this extrinsic reward system I was in. I mean, it was just a dark place of like, man, I'm dying and I, I haven't even lived yet and I'm just kind of stuck with all these regrets. So that was the paradox I was left with that money is more important than anything in many capacities. Like in my case, it saved my life. But on the other hand, it's not about the money and it's not about the chase. When I woke up to realize that my body is my number one asset. So if I just think of in terms of financial terms that I understood really well, we can't do anything without our health. So this number one form of wealth is our health. My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human certified health coach in training, metabolically flexible individual, and insulin-sensitive human. In this podcast, I will relentlessly ask, why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health just a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, powerful lifestyle practices, and will sometimes be joined by two friends and co-hosts. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone sick or healthy. I will do this with no agendas, no dogma, just truth, regardless of the fact that I will inevitably trigger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. To live damn well doesn't mean living life perfectly. We're all gonna die someday. So striving for ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn from myself and empower others to fulfill their purpose and enjoy life, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in control of their biology. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free and highly fulfilling. Now, we just need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, and close-mindedness which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and I hope to help you on yours. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My name is Jorge Roman, and my guest today is Christina Wise, financial health coach, millionaire coach, and creator of several multi-million dollar businesses, including Wealthy Wealthy, where she emphasizes both financial health and physical health and explains why they aren't really the same thing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here and have this conversation. So I want to start this off probably the opposite of how you'd expect. So there's this book called um, the top five regrets of the dying. 
and it's by a woman who's worked in palliative care. And so none of the regrets are actually about money. And I know from the past interviews that I've watched with you, I heard that you had a very similar realization when you were having some health problems. Um, so tell me a little bit about those health issues you experienced and what you learned. Wow, that's a that's a great jumping in question. So you're <laughs> right. Well, it was uh, so my part of my story is that I I was in I was playing the money game really hard, the success and money game, and I had achieved a lot of success, I'd built a lot of wealth, and I I was running marathons, and I was really just living an unsustainable lifestyle. I didn't know it. I actually thought I was healthy because I was a marathon runner, and because because because. But what happened is I ended up getting really sick and just collapsing. And then it took me a couple of years to get my health back. And that was a really, you know, eye-opening journey. At first, I just found myself wanting to get fixed as quickly as possible. Then it ultimately ended up being this real spiritual journey, this healing journey. But to answer your question, it, what happened is kind of the realization during and then certainly after is a couple different things, which is what I call a paradox. And a paradox is like duality. It's like two opposite truths that exist, coexist at the same time. And that's what I really, coming out of the experience, my, my kind of life's work after that's been reconciling this truth. Because on my deathbed, I my entire life before that had been achievement. So I had the houses, I had the cars, I had the net worth, I had the money in the bank, I had the status. And no matter where I got, I just was never satisfied. So I had to like go after that next rung of the ladder, the net, maybe happiness is under that next achievement type thing. So I was oblivious. I was in that narrative, but I was very much into it. And granted, I had a lot of business success and identity success and financial success. What happened when I was fighting for my life and I was, I, I mean, we hear these things, we hear that on our deathbed, we're never going to care where, you know, that last sales call came from. I experienced that absolutely to be true when I, all I wanted was to be healthy again. All I wanted to do is fix all the regrets that I was now having because I was never present in my life. And I didn't care about my Range Rover. I didn't care about my lake house. I didn't care about my business. I didn't care about all my certificates in the wall. I kid you not, not one iota. I didn't care how I looked. <laughs> you know, I mean, all the stuff that I cared about, I, my whole life was like designed for, I didn't care about anymore. And then, and then I was filled with shame and regret and remorse that I'd missed my entire life. And I hadn't even lived yet, you know, that I was in that chase thing and everything was this external gratification and this extrinsic reward system I was in. So, I mean, and that was really difficult for me to, I mean, it was just a dark place of like, man, I'm dying and I, I haven't even lived yet. And I'm just kind of stuck with all these regrets. So luckily I'm still here and was able to come out at the other side of that. And what I also learned at the same time is that the only reason why I'm here to have this conversation today is because I had the money to pay for life-saving treatments because my illness was not covered by traditional insurance. And because I was a student of money and I had liquidity and I had assets. Now, granted, I used all of my health to build my wealth and I had to use all my wealth to get my health back. So, you know, I don't recommend that, but ultimately at least I had the health, not everybody's that lucky. So that was the paradox I was left with that money is more than money 
is more important than anything in many capacities. Like in my case, it saved my life. But on the other hand, it's not about the money and it's not about the chase. So what I teach now is that, yeah, we need to get good with money. Money is a form of wellness. And so like what you're teaching is like eat damn well, be damn healthy, you know, these different things. And, and so wellness, we can't live a good life if we're not well. My life wasn't good when I was sick. When I was sick in bed, I couldn't enjoy it. So we need wellness and wellness. And like you said, you have fit fitness as a part of wellness. Well, finances have fitness. We need to exercise our money, these different capacities with our money. But at the end of the day, if we're going to live a good life, we need our health. We need lots of love and really good relationships and we need money. And those are just true. So we don't have one of the three and life is just a little bit, if not a lot more difficult. Absolutely. And I think it's a common misconception that once you have money, you know, health is going to be right there with you. And I think, I mean, not really from, from me starting this podcast, writing articles about health and writing book about health, like I have put my own health on the back burner doing that stuff. And I know that's super, super common in, in people who are high achieving like yourself. So it's hard to find that middle ground. Yeah. And I think a lot of it can come with the mindset. So I wasn't aware until I was sick. And so since I was good, you know, since I lived in, let's say the money context, when I woke up to realize that my body is my number one asset. So if I just think of in terms of financial terms that I understood really well, we can't do anything without our health. So this number one form of wealth is our health. So if we hold our health sacred and our body sacred and our relationship to self, our relationship to our health, to our body with the desire to be healthy, not for vanity reason, vanity is fine too, but to really understand that if I'm not healthy or if I get ill, the quality of life goes way down really fast. And there is nothing worse than being scared that you may die every single day and not being able to get out of bed and not use your body and just not being able to experience life. So that's just it. When the mindset can be, my body is my number one asset. All of my life experience comes out of the ability to, to use and live inside this healthy body. Then every, we can put everything else, like maybe just one millimeter underneath that, but at least one millimeter underneath, if that makes sense. And then it's this relationship of hey, I need money to be really healthy and I need a healthy body to make good money and a healthy body and good money can underwrite the cost of living and experiencing a really great life with people I love. And it's really this triangle of those three parts that really need to interconnect and coexist together in an integrated type mindset and lifestyle practice. Right, exactly. So having said all that, how do you, integrate? How do you begin to start integrating both of these things, financial health and also um, health, physical health? Yeah. I mean, both of them, I guess, is a lifestyle. So I think it begins with, like I say, a wealthy, wealthy life. And so it's a life where, you know, we're in the money game where we're, we have our jobs, our careers, our businesses, however we make money. And that's, that's part of the game we want to get good at, right? I mean, money is a part of the equation. And even better, if we can make money doing what we love, you know, and 
and really enjoy that piece of life where it's not a grind. But I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners who once loved their job and their business, but it just became such a grind. And and just over the long haul, just really started taking a little bit of their life from them. So the only way to avoid that type of outcome is to understand money and wealth creation. So that's one part of the game. And, but it comes from desire for financial wellness, right? Under the category of, I just want a good life that's healthy. So if we want financial abundance, we have to learn and adopt financially healthy, like healthy financial habits and practices. And we have to do that, right? It can't be a right. concept. We have, to, we have to adopt the healthy practices that comes from knowing what those are. And then same if we want to be healthy, right? We have to desire to be healthy. We have to know that that's more important than anything, not just one to avoid illness. Because if not illness, I mean, illness will always catch up. We know like as time goes on, we, we don't feel that we're starting to break down our body, but you hit a certain age and all those little, those little breakdowns or little hurts, you know, it's the, it's the death of a thousand cuts or that straw that brought the camel's back. So we desire to be healthy one because illness isn't fun, but more importantly, so that we can fully experience life. Then we'll gain the knowledge, like read your books and what you're doing. And then we design a lifestyle, the habits and practices that are congruent with being physically healthy. So a lot of times people, you know, they're congruent in the health side, but they're uncongruent in the, in the, in the wealth side or vice versa. So it's just knowing that in the category of wellness and same with relationships, like neither one, you know, you're, you're really about physical wellness and I'm about financial wellness. And that third category is the relationship wellness. We can be millionaires with optimal health and be alone on an island and be miserable. Like it doesn't, you know, all the money and health in the world doesn't matter if we're alone. So that's that other piece too, is we want to develop healthy habits, you know, habits and practices and, and, and learn how to be great in relationships as well. And I just think these are three important categories of life that when we accept that the better we are at these three, the better life can be, then so much of our life ambition can be continually to adopt better habits and practices for being healthier, wealthier, and, and have more love in our life. Definitely. And I think that's exactly what I want to get into next, which is mindset, because I think people have such different misconceptions about wealth um, and health. And, you know, it's, it's fundamental in everything that we do. And in my own life, I've tended to be towards, you know, I'm either all in or I'm not going in at all. And that's a problem because like we said, that can really lead to burnout, especially with, um, you know, trying to create health, like, like you said. So what is that mindset that you find to be the most helpful when you're, you know, you're beginning your, your financial freedom journey? Yeah. Well, the first, I can answer that lots of different ways. The first thing that jumped to mind, just based on what you said, is to really like, there's this subconscious belief that I think our culture gives us somehow that there's some race to get there. Like whenever we get there, wherever there is, we're going to be happy, rich, famous, you know, healthy, wealthy, married, divorced, whatever it is. It's like, whenever I get there. So there's this mad dash to get there as quickly as possible. But first of all, there's no there out there. 
you know, really it's just, it's, it, the game of life is really to be fully present in the now we can dream the futures we want to ma manifest and grow into, but to really be content and satisfied in the now. And then if we'd like it to be a little bit different or better, then we work to what can I do to improve the situation that I'm in? So that's, that's the first piece is just to, to understand that life is meant to be lived and experienced on a day-to-day moment-to-moment ba basis. There's no, there's no finish line. There's no trophy. There's no medal to put around one's neck the faster you get somewhere, right? So that was a big part of my life. I was just constantly living in this high adrenaline, fast-packed, super velocity, rich as fast as possible, whatever the case was. And I missed my entire life. Like, so what? And again, I didn't get any medals for that. In fact, when I got sick, what was really interesting is I was famous in my industry. I mean, I was a household name in my industry. Two years later, when I finally got my health back, I'd been replaced by the next superstar. You know, I mean, I just held that place for a while until there was the next person that could take my place. So it wasn't even like I got you know, I got a secure place where when I got back, I got to start back over there. Like, no, the world went on very quickly without me. So, and I spent so much time for all those people to think I was amazing. And, you know, when I didn't serve their purpose anymore, on to the next. So I think that's a big piece is the mindset piece, like I said, is to especially the younger you are, you've got your entire life, just enjoy it. You're always going to be growing and learning and becoming. And as long as we're in the, in the game of curiosity and always becoming and growing, take your time, right. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. and enjoy, enjoy the experience along the way. So I think that's part one when it comes to money and health, I think health and wealth, you know, they can be interchanged. Uh, you know, one really equals the other. Even if you looked at, look up the etymology of the words health and wealth, they really are the same thing, which I find fascinating. But with money, really the mind, there's a lot of cleanup and health too. So people that are finance, that people that can't ever quite get their money straight, meaning they're always paycheck to paycheck, or they're always in debt, or they're always in some type of financial crisis or upset or conflict. There's a reason for that very similar to people, let's say that have eating disorders. So those have eating disorders, for example, there's something underneath that's causing that disorder. There's a, there's a, there's a hate of self, or I don't like my body, you know, whatever that very subconscious narrative that came out of something, potentially a trauma or something that happened, but it's due to a relationship with oneself and to one's body that's not healthy, that's dysfunctional, that then the byproduct of that is an eating disorder. That if the source of that belief and that, that uh, hate or that, you know, whatever that dysfunctional relationship is, if that doesn't get fixed, there's always probably going to be some type of eating disorder, right? Yes. So you don't fix a eating disorder, you fix or you go to try to figure out what's causing that. So same, and, and it's to learn to love self and to love one's body and to fall in love with oneself and quit beating some ourselves up and quit trying to be perfect in these different things. Money's exactly the same way that, that part of the mindset piece is that we have a relationship with our money. 
And it's either a healthy relationship or a dysfunctional one. And for most people, it's pretty dysfunctional because we get all of our money beliefs by the time we're seven. So unless our parents were really great with money, you know, maybe we have a chance that we're pretty good with it ourselves, but very few people grow up that way because money is very emotionally charged, has a lot of shame and guilt and story and lineage attached to it. So we automatically adopt those beliefs from our parents and we don't even know we've adopted those, those beliefs from our parents. They're completely ingrained. So if our parents argued about money all the time, money probably doesn't feel safe to talk about, you know, even if, if we grew up in a, let's say uh, just a single mom household and mom was always struggling to make ends meet and we saw mom suffer, you know, we might, we might carry that with us or, you know, just whatever, or, you know, if, if money just wasn't ever talked about, we think that we're never supposed to talk about it. So it's just knowing that, that we have a relationship with our money, that if our money's not really working out for us, it's one of the things we want to look at. What are those childhood stories and beliefs? What is my relationship? And if there's anything our, with our money that we're neglecting our money, we're abdicating our money, we're afraid of our money, we don't want to look at our money, we don't want to talk about money. Those are the cues that says we've got some money cleanup to do. And then the final thing really with the mindset piece, kind of the last piece that would fit into the mindset category is to know where really there's like anything in the universe, there's scarcity mindset and abundance mindset and abundance means a byproduct, but we really have to believe and have the mindset that this universe is abundant. There's plenty of money. We can create manifest anything money-wise that we set our dreams to, like it's available to everyone. And the only thing in the way of that is our own self-limiting beliefs and our own mindsets or fears or lack of knowledge and lack of confidence. So money, the great thing about money, as opposed to health, is that when you're sick and ill, it can be very complicated to figure out what's wrong and to reverse the illness and to really get to healthy again. Money, on the other hand, you can find out where that illness is very quickly. You can do the work very fast and you can reverse any type of financial disease or illness quickly that changes the trajectory immediately. So that's why I love being in the, in the financial wellness category as opposed to the physical, because my job's a lot easier. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think uh, when you're, whenever you're working with, with a body, a living being, there's so many moving parts that it's, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's much easier to find something that's more physical, like like wealth, um, although still finding those limiting beliefs, identifying them and breaking those down. Also, I think, like you said, are a super important piece and actually, you know, not holding us back from, from letting go of those, those things that don't serve us like money's dirty, money's bad. It's bad to want money, things like that. Yeah. And those are, those are programmed narratives, you know, that are programmed from the the things our little, our little kid ears heard. So again, we automatically believe those things to be true in our subconscious if we've not addressed those. The other part of money, which is the same as health, is that, you know, let's say, you know, I had the mindset that, you know, I'm not worthy. I don't love myself. I don't love the way I look. I don't love my body. And then I, I work to reverse that mindset, like, hey, I love myself, man, I just, I want to feel great, I deserve to feel great. And, you know, so we do the work and we clean all that up. Now, let's say the, the mindset is, is straight, 
But let's say what we believe to be true, to be healthy is like, man, I can eat sugar every single day. I can eat donuts, make me happy. And I can eat donuts every day. And so I eat lots and lots and lots of donuts and pop anything that has a lot of sugar. So now most of us know these days, like sugar is the opposite of health, right? That, that if we eat too much sugar, there's going to be negative consequences to that. So, but if we, if we didn't know better, we're just, even though the mindset's healthy, we don't have the knowledge that, or the, the, what we don't know, don't know is actually keeping us from being healthy and we'll have the ripple effects that, you know, we wake up with diabetes or or we can't get off those pounds and just like, it's beating one's head against the wall. Like I'm, man, I'm just so happy and I'm working on all these things. Why am I not losing weight? Well, it's just because we're going against these biological natural laws that sugar and health don't, they don't line up. So then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you mean sugar? And there's all these forms of sugar that's in all these packaged foods that I didn't even know was sugar. And I've been eating all these grams of sugar and I didn't even know it. And now, but you, now you become in the knowledge. Now you can change behavior because now you're not going to buy those same foods that are laden with sugar. You just didn't know any better. But now the second you come to the knowledge, it's like, well, I'm not going to buy that crap anymore. I'm not going to put that crap in my body because I love my body too much to do that. But we were doing something unknowingly that was self-sabotaging the health results that we wanted. Money is the same thing. So we can fix the mindset. And a lot of people in my industry are like, oh, just choose an abundance mindset. And oh, just, you know, attract the money and, and just work on your mindset. That's only 50%. Money has all these dono donos as well that most people are self-sabotaging, meaning they're create, keeping financial illness or they're just finding themselves frustrated, wanting to beat their head against the wall. Like, man, I'm do, I think I'm doing all the right things. My mindset's great. I, I read these books. I did this, this, and this, and I'm not getting any farther ahead. It's because money has these universal laws that we have to follow. And there's a skill to how we have to operate our money and work our money if we're actually going to grow it into wealth. But nobody ever tells us that. So it's easy to make money, we pay our bills. And you know, that's as long, you know, maybe we're spending a little bit less than we make. But money's money is more complicated to that. Like if we're going to create wealth, and future financial freedom and having space and time, the ability to, to have financial security and feel financial well and have, feel, have financial safety and eventually financial freedom. There's a lot of things we need to learn and a lot of things we need to incorporate for that dream to become a reality. I think, yeah, I wanna really emphasize what you said because I think a big part of it is a, an education issue. And that, that's, what I want to talk about next college. So it's, it's kind of um, there's two camps, I guess, with college, right? There's some people that think it's absolutely necessary. Other people more on the entrepreneur side that are more so like, Oh, you know, like unless you're going to do, be a PhD or a doctor or a lawyer or something like really, really specific, then yeah, you know, that's for you. But uh, you know, as I've started to learn more and more about it um, really you're giving yourself, thousands of dollars of debt when you may not even know what you want to do. And then once you get out of it, you're, you're in depth, you're, you're in debt. And then you, you know, you have a house to pay a family, a car and more debt and more debt and more debt. So what are your thoughts on 
financial freedom for, you know, 20 year old, 18 year old coming out of high school? I mean, unless you're taking on debt with a guaranteed job in a very specific category where you can say, hey, I can pay off this debt in this amount of time. And so there's a return on this debt investment. And I'm very clear, if you are taking on debt to put yourself through college, you're going to regret it. You're setting yourself up, up, up in the red and the negative. So as a young adult, you do not want to start the adult game in the negative. You want to start at least at net zero. So they've made it very easy to acquire student debt. There's this mindset to go to college more, you know, no matter what. And I work with so many people who are 40s and 50s and they're still paying off their student loan debt. And they've had to carry that. So all that money that is going to the banks is keeping you from building your own wealth because the banks are getting the money. You're not getting the money. So I'm, I'm under the belief there's so much valuable education this, these days that's far more valuable and will produce far greater return on that education than traditional college. Yet I'd say a big part of America still thinks college is an absolute must. With my own children, they, I gave them the option and my daughter, my daughter went to college and she did four years and that was the rule, four years, I paid cash for it. So both my children got to go to college without being in debt, but I wouldn't have allowed them to go to college and take on debt. You know, I'd been mm -hmm. like, no, you work part-time and go over eight years, maybe if you need, really think you need the, this degree, but don't go and get into debt to do it because you don't, you don't want to start your adulthood with debt. And, but in, for her, it was a really good growing up. She learned, she'd got a business degree. She doesn't really use it, but she kind of uses it. And college was a good experience for her. She grew up a lot and, but I kept the, I kept her on a tight budget. She had to pay her own bills. You know, she, she learned how to manage her money in college. My son, on the other hand, college wasn't for him. He's an entrepreneur. He's in real estate. He's making great money. He's kicking ass and college just wasn't for him. So he would have just wasted my money, his money. He would, if he would have taken on student loan debt, if that would have been something he'd come out of college with a bunch of debt and he, he wouldn't, he's just not the person that was going to, to learn that way. So both my kids, for example, same mother and one went to college and did well. And my other one was like, screw that. Why would I spend all that time in college when I can just go straight to making money? Right. Right. Yeah. I know in, in my case, I was also very fortunate to be able to not take on debt um, and go to college. Um, but really to be honest, like in high school, um, I, the last thing I really wanted to do was spend four more years in a classroom, but it was, I, I didn't have that knowledge. I didn't know what other options that were available to me. And I kind of did it because everyone was kind of doing it. And I was like, okay, I'll just go in and see maybe by my sophomore year, I'll have learned what I want to do with my life. Right. But what other options actually are there? I mean, apprenticeship, I think is the such a powerful way to go. So if you have an interest, I mean, if it's architecture, maybe apprentice with an architect, if it's real estate, apprentice with a real estate person, if it's, if it's, I mean, whatever the love is, it's like, go apprentice, learn, sit side by side by master. You will learn more 
in a couple years of sitting side by side with, on, with a master of whatever your passion and love is or what you think it is, then you will in four years of college, even, you know, not even close. I mean, and just want to learn and apprentice and help. I mean, even if you're just in the room with master, masterful minds and, and wisdom and experience, even if you're just listening in and, you know, emptying the trash cans, you're going to learn so much. So that's, that's my advice is seek to apprentice and learn under the master in something you think that you're interested in and you just offer. So, and I, and I actually funded that for my children is that I had them do internships that, Hey, I will pay for you. Like my daughter, for example, she did an internship in Australia and worked underneath a, an, a very successful entrepreneur over there in a category she was interested in. And so I said, you know, I would rather pay you to go, you know, offer free help and learn as opposed to just, you know, pay for free college or something. So I'd even invite parents to think about that too. It's like, oh, if you're going to pay for something, might it be more worthwhile that you pay your kids their room and board to go work for free for somebody that can teach them? something like real life skill and business skill that actually will have real value in the marketplace. Right. And that's something that I've actually learned um, because this year I'm actually taking a gap year just with all the craziness going on. And, you know, it's funny because I've found that on my own, I've actually been able to find my passion more than being in a classroom, being taught only what other people want me to learn. Right. I've actually been able to learn what I want to learn and I think it, in our culture, like you said, it's like, oh, you go to college right after high school. And in a bunch of other places like Germany, for example, I have some family members there. They still do more apprentice type shift. I think that's, that's very valuable. Speaking of creating wealth and spending money wisely, I want to interrupt this show to talk about Thrive Market. Now, after founders Gunnar, Kate, Sasha, and Nick observed a broken food system which really made it way too expensive, inconvenient, and confusing to eat healthy, they decided to team up and make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Here's why I've been a member of Thrive for years now. First, you can shop non-toxic, eco-friendly, healthy, and affordable brands from cosmetics, supplements, granola, paleo pancake mixes. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, organic health foods are way too expensive which I'd say I totally agree. So that's when you buy from Thrive Market, you actually save around 25 to 50% off retail price that you'd find in a physical health food store near you. Sorry, Whole Foods. Now the membership is also incredibly affordable. It's just about the price of a cup of coffee, $5 per month. And on average, members actually make it back after just two orders. Now for every paid membership, Thrive Market provides a free membership to a low-income family teacher or veteran in need. It's also way easier than the grocery store. I mean, these days everyone is spending way more time at home than usual, so it makes it super easy to shop. It's delivered straight to your door. Every single product is tagged by over 90 different values, so you can sort the entire catalog of products by non-GMO, organic, vegan, gluten-free, paleo, keto, sustainably farmed, etc. Now, my family and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for several years now, and I truly can't recommend it enough, especially if you want to try to make eating healthier not only more affordable, but more convenient and better tasting. So you can try Thrive Market risk-free for a month and get a gift of 
to $24 in value if you use the link in the description. Now, if you don't like it, no worries. You'll get a full refund of your membership within 30 days. The link is in the description. Hope you give them a try. Now, back to the show. Absolutely. And here you are podcasting and you're learning all these new skills and and passions and creativity. And yeah, I mean, and you're not being programmed either. You're learning what you want to learn from who you want to learn and creating your own points of views by listening to different ones and sometimes going through more, you know, just the, the establishment our, our brains are being programmed by what the teachers and the institutions want us to hear. And, and really college in the institutions are set up for, for go, to, go to college and get a job and stay in that type of corporate, we're gonna tell you what to do, climb the ladder mindset so we can own a piece of you in a way and profit from it. So that, you know, that's a way for many people, but for those that have more of a free spirit, an entrepreneurial spirit, a creator spirit, uh, the, the, that love to be free thinkers and actors and, and want to, you know, just spread their wings and, and experience life. You know, I really advise like remove all the containers, like really just go and learn from as many different types of sources and places and different points of view as possible so that you can start to develop your own free thinking and free mind and come up with your own opinions as a verse, as opposed to reiterating what's been programmed. Yes. Yes. And I want to dive into the rules of money, something that you talked about a little bit earlier. So um, in other, in other interviews that I've seen you on, you've talked about wealth kind of like a game, you know, like basketball has rules and you can't play it without following them, but you have a certain amount of freedom, freedom within that game, right? Which dictates who's actually successful and who's not. So um, what would you say if you had to choose are the top three rules for starting to accrue wealth, those habits that are important? Yeah, I love that question. And I think again, a mindset is if money can be playful and we just remember life is one big game and and, you know, we, there are rules we have to follow and some, you know, some strategies are better than others. You know, some strategies are set up for winning and other strategies are, you know, are set up for the opposite of that. But yeah, it's, it's to, to want to be good at the game. And money is a little bit like sitting down playing Monopoly when we're kids. I mean, it has a lot of the same strategies, in fact. But there's a few things that could be takeaways. The... The first one I like to, like a myth I like to bust is that there's this belief in the back of our head, especially as we start making money and getting in the business game, but that is the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. And if that is the fundamental mindset, that means you will be trapped forever. That means you're always going to be chasing the dollar. You're always going to be thinking, okay, my future, my everything, I'm going to be okay in the future. <laughs> I can make more money in the future. So, but that just sets us up that we're always chasing the dollar. No matter how much money we make, it's never quite enough. Because So the truth is not that the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. The answer to all my money problems is how much I keep. So financial stability is cash. So if you don't have any cash or surplus, there is automatically financial anxiety. And what happens is there's this financial law, it's called Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law of finance says that income, that expenses will always rise to match income. 
So what happens automatically, we're not even aware of it. We are a victim of this law unless we're aware of it and, and change it. But let's say we start, you know, our career and we're just starting out and, and we're making $50,000 a year. And we're thinking, man, I'm like dead broke. I can barely, you know, I can barely survive on 50,000 a year. And, and, you know, feel like we're eating beans or rice and this, that, and the other man, just if when I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, that will solve all my problems. I just need to make a hundred all. I'm feel so envious of all those people making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Then all of a sudden, you know, a few years later, you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you forgot what it felt like at 50,000, because now you've just gotten accustomed to making a hundred thousand and you're thinking, man, it's just month to month. My God, like I can just, every month, like I barely have any money to pay my bills and I have to go back to work to think the next month. And man, if I just made $200,000 a year and that will just keep going and going and going. And the reason why is because Parkinson's law says again, expenses will always rise to match income because let's just pretend we were making 50 and we, you know, all of a sudden somebody comes and say, I'm going to double your income. Now you're making a hundred. Do we stay with the same car or car payment? Do we stay with the same apartment or apartment payment? Do we stay with the same amount that we're spending on vacations? No, what happens? The cost of our lifestyle goes right up to the social class of everybody else. So we buy the lifestyle that everybody else's lifestyle looks like at $100,000. So there went, so where whatever our expenses were on the $50,000 monthly amount, now our expenses equal the monthly amount of $100,000 a year, for example. So that's, that's what we have to be aware of. So the rule is, I mean, here's the secret to getting rich. Ready? Spend less than you make. And not and it's spend 20% less than you make. That is the rule. And when you start at your age, if you start this in your 20s, you will be, I mean, relative to all of your friends when you hit 40 that will be there sooner than, you know, sooner than you think, all of your friends are still going to be stuck in that month to month game. And you're just going to be shaking your head thinking, oh my God, I'm so glad I learned these financial principles and learned to live on a little bit less than what all my friends were spending at the same income level. And I socked that money away and I have these investments and now I have this net worth at 40, where all my friends, I mean, they're just still living paycheck to paycheck. So, so as simple as it sounds, it's, it takes again, that discipline, that awareness and that lifestyle that off of every check that you, you make at any, when you start at 50, cause the thing is like, well, at 50,000, I don't have enough money to take any money off the top. I can barely pay all my bills. I'll put off that until I make a hundred thousand dollars. But again, those expenses creep up called expense creep lifestyle creep. And then you're like, well, I can't do it now. So I'll push it off until later. So you just keep kicking the can down the road of never doing investing. Now, what makes the, the myth again, is that the answer to all my money problems is making more money. We don't understand that there's a difference between income and wealth. Most people are paying, playing the income game. You want to play the wealth game. And the wealth game is the difference between chess and checkers. So if you want to play, like if you're going to play the big game, the wealth game, it's playing the game of chess with your money. It's very strategic. It's very intentional. We're not just, you know, we're just not shuffling a few things around on the checkers board. So income, you care about income, but when you get in the wealth game, 
you're, you're, you're getting in the balance sheet game and you're in the asset game. And that's where it starts to get fun because you see that you actually have real worth and real value financial and power and financial power. And again, the, the, how you do that is over time. So with compound interest, which is what makes you wealthy is the, the, it has to take time. So when you're 25 and you, and you have, you're, you're taking 20% off the top as your income grows for 20 years from 25 to 45, you're going to be in such a different position, of course, than your, your peer, your, your neighbor, your friends that you're hanging out with who hasn't saved a dollar from 25 to 45. And now they're bumping up against middle age saying, oh my gosh, like I still have, I don't have anything. I have to go to my job every single day and I have no freedom and I have no cash and I have no assets. So again, to start when you're in the wealth game, it changes your behavior and then you're aware of it. And you're like, all right, I'm not going to eat that sugar anymore because that's the way, you know, that gets in the way of my, my physical well-being. Well, we don't spend all of our money because that's going to get in the way of our financial well-being. Well, that really clicks because uh, I know like coming from, um, well, even in high school, when I had friends who started working jobs, they started to earn money, exactly the same thing like that you said happened. I mean, they, they weren't putting it away and saving it and saying, oh, I'm going to do exactly like what you said, saving it until after college when I'm really going to need it and want it. No, they went out and bought stuff, stupid stuff usually. And where was like, where was that money? It, it's gone, completely gone from all that time that they spent in high school and, and even in college. And they exactly what happened Their their expenses just rose to meet what they made. It will always be the case. I mean, that we will be a victim of that law unless we put something in place that that keeps us from falling victim to that law. Now, what are some, so you talked about saving, saving some money. Um, so practically, what would that look like? Like, let's say in my case, I start to make some money while I'm in college, um, weekly or monthly, what would that look like? Me taking 10% or 20% and saving and putting it into a savings account, or what would you uh, advise? Yeah, so I, I mean, I teach a very specific methodology and I actually have a money school, it's called Sovereignty Academy, and it's how to create financial sovereignty. And the younger you get good, you get great at these things, obviously you're going to set yourself up for an entire different future than everybody else. And my, both my 24 year old daughter and 25 year old son live by these rules and they have a net worth greater from their own monies and savings and investing than many people my age. I mean, seriously. So the younger you are, obviously the better. But in my money school, the reason why I created the money school is that I teach everything we should have learned in college about money, but they didn't offer that class, right? Because money really is a life skill. And I, I, and I teach exactly what to do to answer your question. Now, the answer really is it depends because money is like uh, taught like cookie cutter, like everything it's the same for everybody. And money's when we're setting up these targets and goals, it's a little bit different for everybody because the younger you are, your percentages can be lower. The older you are, you have to create much higher percentages because you're running out of time. So many times, you know, when you're starting younger, if you get in the habit of shaving 10% off your gross of every single check you ever put in your bank account, then you put it in what's called an investing bucket. So the big takeaway is you can't commingle your money. So if you paid yourself 
$5,000 this month, then you're taking $500 out and you're putting it in a separate bucket. You're putting that in your investment account and you're letting that grow. And then you're going to look to buy an asset. And there's two ways, especially when you're younger, you can just put that money in the, into an index fund. You don't really have to learn about investing yet. You've got plenty of time, but at least you want to sock that money away where it's getting some interest and some compounding and you want it out of your bank account so that you don't spend it. Right. So, yes. and that's your future self money. It's not your money. It's out. It's off doing work and you money works 24, seven, 365 days a year. So you want to put money away that's working for you. And that's the money that's going to make you rich, not your working income. It's your money at work that's going to make you rich. And so you just want to keep growing that stockpile and let it do its snowball compounding effect over time. It, you know, it starts off with a teeny tiny hill size ball but then when you start at 25, at 45, it's a really nice boulder of, you know, this just amassing additional snow. That's a little bit of money you're putting in, but mostly it's just the money now that's building its own snow. That's what they don't teach you. When you don't learn this, you make your money and spend it thinking someday in the future, I'll be able to, you know, there'll be some money left over. And the way to build wealth is your money builds it. You don't build it. So that's what you're putting into play. Now, if you're starting at 45 and you've never put a dime away, then starting at 10% is probably not going to be enough. Like you're really going to have to adjust your spending. We're putting probably at least 20% down. And that needs to be a lifestyle habit from here on out to do the catch up of what you didn't do. But if you could go from 25 to 45 and never put another dollar in because you've had that 20 years now that's throwing it off that the 45 year old would have to wait till 65 to get that same type of result. So you could quit investing at 45 because you've already built, let the money do 20 years of compounding. So again, that's why you want to start younger so that you can be financially free when everybody else is just getting started. Right. And I find that unless people actually physically put away that 10%, that 20% or whatever it is away into something different where they're not going to touch it, they end up spending it and myself included. So that's, yeah, you get it out of the bank account. It's just, and the mindset too, is the way I teach it a little bit. You think about if you know any friends that are trust fund babies and what is a trust fund baby, you know, that maybe we're a little envious of, well, the trust fund baby, what that means is their parents or grandparents did a really great job of put money aside And let's say, and if they set it up where the trust, where the trust, the principal can't be touched. So however many millions are in the principal, the principal can't get touched. But if there is, let's say if there's $10 million in there and you pull 5% off of $10 million, that's $500,000 a year of interest with the $10 million principles never being touched. And so if that trust was set up, that the kids or grandkids are never allowed to touch the principal. And that's going to continue to grow for any interest that stays in over five. The kids get to pull off five per year. That means they get $500,000 per year, right? So aren't we thankful to our parents or grandparents who did that work and set that up? So now that means we have five. We don't have to work if we don't want to, assuming we spend less than $500,000 a year. That trust fund baby has freedom because they get to do whatever they want. They get to spend, use all that money to, when they not don't go to work to be able to spend it on the lifestyle they want, assuming that's what suits them. Well, if we don't have a parent or grandparent that's going to set up the trust fund, where's that $500,000 going to come from? 
Where's that financial freedom money that gives us the, that money that we get to spend money on our lifestyle without working or working as much? Where is it going to come from? I mean, when we think about that, it's like, well, I don't know. Where would it come from? So that, I mean, and it's, it's pretty quick to think that way. It's like, I need to create my own trust fund. So what you're doing now is determining really for every $100,000, for every million dollars of net worth, it's about $50,000 of, of that 5% cash flow. So now you can say, all right, if I'm 25, by the time I'm 45, I want to be able to live off $100,000 a year. So that means I'm going to have to put $2,800 a month away for 20 years, probably at about a 10%. I'll have $2 million by the time I'm 45. And then I'm going to be able to have that $100,000 that comes from my assets per year. And so there's the number. I call that your good enough number. Like how much money is enough and what are you working backwards from? But that way you just know like, hey, 20 years from now, I want this amount of money and I'm building my own trust fund. So that's just it is you're setting up your own trust fund by putting money away for the 20 years or however it is. You, and then if you get, if you make a lot more money and you can put in twice as much, then you can do it in 10 years if you want to. So we get to determine by looking at the different metrics and putting a few, very few simple numbers in a compounding calculator. But ultimately we all want our own trust fund. And most people only think of these terms of retirement or some of these antiquated thinking. And when you're 25 retirement, you know, it's just not even on the brain. Like, I mean, we're, especially if we're going to retire really old. So we don't even want to use the words like retirement. Like who wants to retire? We want to use the word like, I want to be financially free by the time I'm this age so that I have that type of uh, space and time to do maybe my next career or to go travel the world around the world for a few years or whatever that case is. But it's about financial freedom, security, and safety that we can only create by putting that money aside. And if not, you know, the kids that don't have the trust funds, they have to go work for a living for their entire lives. This is so interesting because um, it's really similar to a field in epigenetics called transgenerational epigenetics, right? Where the, the habits, the healthy or not healthy habits that you do in your life will affect your kids, your grandkids, right? It's the same thing with money that exactly what you're saying. Like if you have those healthy or wealthy habits, then, you know, you're, probably going to pass those on to your kids. And then, you know, they're going to be good with money and then their kids are going to be good with money. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you can set it up. So each generation maybe is a little bit better than the next, if that's the legacy that you want to leave. And, and, and you can change, like you said, like with epigenetics, we can really reverse the kind of the direction things may be headed that, that, you know, with genetics, hey, I'm genetically predispositioned for diabetes because my both my parents had it and their parents had it and their parents had it. And maybe that's a bad example, but but I can change that trajectory by changing my lifestyle practices. And my kids, we can break that cycle. You're exactly right. With with money, it's very similar. So I started out very, very poor, for example. I mean, I had to, I had to relearn all the money mindsets. I had to start from negative zero. Like I had a big distance to climb when it came to being where I am today, as opposed to where I started from. I, I mean, I had to unlearn everything I learned from my parents. You know, I had to make all sorts of mistakes as a result of not 
having any type of healthy financial lineage, for example, quite the opposite. Now my kids get to start from a whole different starting place, right? Is that, you know, my intention is to leave them a legacy, but with very tight parameters around it, even for their kids. So that each generation, hopefully the epigenetics of that can be much more, you know, be far healthier than, you know, where it was headed, you know, the whole lineage before me. And it can change in just one generation. And my, my kids, if they do everything that they've been taught to do and do it, you know, as well as I have, or hopefully far better and teach their kids, you can see that that genetic, you know, breakdown is, you know, is set up to be far different. And it's, it changed in one lifetime, right. And in one, in one generation. Right. And I think it's a huge problem what you're talking about, not, not saving, not having that uh, safety trust fund really, because that's part of the reason why I think so many people were hit so hard uh, during COVID times, because they didn't have really a lot of things saved up. You know, like I know a lot of family members and friends who, you know, really were living basically paycheck to paycheck, even though they're middle class or even like upper middle class, it still hit them hard. Well, when you don't have any, when you don't have any safety net, cash is safety. And cash is security. So wealth, wealth means we have net worth, we have, we have passive income or that, that future self-income that we're building towards. And there's, there's a distance between like financial um, insecurity, meaning that's month to month. And month to month could be month to month at $50,000 a year or $250,000 a year. A lot of people I know in my, in my age group and category, they're making $250,000 or $500,000 a year, but they are just as stressed as ever because they have big bills, they have big payments, they have big, big college, you know, all these different expenses. So every month they have to go make that same thing happen in their business or their work to pay that next month's bills. So that's that thing, like uh, where people get stuck in that trap. And there is, I mean, it's financially, even though, you know, you think, man, they're making $250,000 a year. How could they have any money problems? They have the same money problems as somebody making half that amount because it's still month to month. You still have to cover next month's bills and there's no surplus. So that what we, the first step is to get out of the month to month and start having that financial security and financial safety. That's the first place we want to get. We want to feel safe and secure. And that's just having cash. And that's the starting place is that if you have six months of cash sitting in an account and COVID hits, do you think there's a lot less financial anxiety as if COVID hits and there's zero cash in a bank account? There's no safety in that. So now that's even going to make it that much more stressful. So that's the first thing we want to do is we need to have cash and some cash reserves just to give us that safety net. So when life happens, we've got several months to be able to figure our shit out, you know, to pivot to, well, maybe I need to get a different job or this or that, but you don't have to freak out because you've got many months to cover you there. So the first piece is security. And then the second piece is wealth and passive income. And we want to work to establish both of those. You need liquidity and cash for safety in the present. And you need wealth and compounding monies in the future to be able to grow those monies so that you have that that trust fund money, that passive income in the future that gives you the freedom to get out of the month to month payment game. Now about passive income, you mentioned um, index funds and investing 
what other ways have you found? Because there are a lot of like financial gurus out there saying a whole bunch of different things and often conflicting things about passive income. So from your experience, what is a good way to start generating passive income? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of different distinctions as to what is passive income. And, and the way I, my distinction for passive income, I think is different than most. A lot of people like, oh, you know, multi-level marketing, that's passive income or create a new funnel in your business with, you know, I don't know, if you do a podcast and have a free program that leads to a paid program and that's passive income from all those online programs you sell or, you know, so there's all these these tips or, or, or definitions for passive income, that's all working income. Working income means that if you have to show up to work or to your business and push a lever to make business happen, or you have to be there to keep the systems and everything running, that's working income. Because it's not passive, meaning the day that you quit working, that business starts to slowly fall apart. So even, you know, some people have been, let's say, successful in a multi-level marketing business. I've never been in one, but that's kind of the, the, some, the gold standard for create all this passive income. But let's even say you do a multi-level marketing company. The day you quit recruiting, the day that you keep pushing those products and the day that, that you really quit being in that business to keep it growing, it's going to slowly break down and die. And all that passive income is going to go by the wayside, right? It's just going to slowly deteriorate, you know? So in, in most cases, so what real passive income, passive income, the way I'm talking about it, it's asset income. That means if I own real estate, which I do, and my real estate cash flows me, let's say $10,000 a month, I might do a little work, but for the most part, those assets are taking care of themselves. I can even hire people to take care of all of it for me where I don't even, I don't have to break a fingernail mm -hmm. if there's enough cash flow in there. So that means I worked in my business for many years and, you know, whatever business that I had, I shaved 20% off the top. I put money in my investment bucket. I saved enough in this investment bucket to put a hundred thousand dollar down payment on an investment property. I bought the investment property, got tenants in it. And there became my first property and my second property, and my third property. So then all of a sudden I have all this passive cash flow from the assets that now pays for my cost of living. So that's real passive income. Now, do I still, does it still take some time and energy and that type of thing? Yeah, but far less than the time and time I spend in my business business. So that's what I mean by passive income. It's cash flow from assets. The assets are more or less taking care of themselves. So that's, that's what passive income is. Now, when you're first starting to invest, what I'm most concerned about from a young age, especially, I'm not a proponent of index funds. I'm not a proponent of just go put it in the market, set it and forget it. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's a good starting place. At least you're getting your money out of your bank account. And you're putting it in somewhere until you start learning some investing mindset and technique. And then you start reading investing books and you start to to, you know, if you want to become an investor, like what sounds really exciting, where, where would I want to be a good investor? I'm great at real estate, but some people, the idea of real estate scares them to death. I have very few in equities because equity scares me to death, right? So there's plenty of places to invest. At the end of the day, it's just a matter that you need to make sure that you're shaving a certain amount off the top and you're putting it away even in the market right away so that it's out of your bank account is getting money or you're putting it into a savings account, letting it grow so that you can buy bigger assets 
that may be cash flow assets like real estate or you know whatever it would might be that requires a bigger chunk of money to go ahead and buy that type of asset. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation that we've had so far. So usually to end the show, I have a few rapid fire questions. So um, I'll start with the first one. So what is the most important habit that you personally do every single day to support your mental, physical, or financial health and wealth? Yeah. I mean, my, my most important habit outside of probably brushing my teeth, waking up to do that is absolutely my meditation practice. And it's taken me a long time to, to really turn it into something I very hold sacred and covet as opposed to like something I had to force myself to do. But I, I mean, the, even, even every, any day that I don't meditate, I, I notice the difference in the quality of that day in all capacities. Absolutely. That's something that I'm still on that. I'm still trying to make it a thing that I do every single day rather than just like, oh, you have to meditate. There's a great app. I don't know. Apps can be very helpful when you're beginning. But one that I liked when I got started, it's called Headspace. Have you tried Headspace? Oh, yeah. That's a great app. Yeah, that's great. It's five minutes a day. And it's got he's got a great accent. You start that and you know, just starting five minutes goes to 10 minutes goes longer. And now I do 30 minutes a day. And I mean, I could barely do two minutes when I first started. If somebody said that, Christina, you're going to be meditating 30 minutes a day and it's going to be easy peasy, I'd have been like, there's no way in hell I'll ever be able to do that. That was my mindset at the time because I just had a very active mind and very fast and jumped up and wanted to get going. Is that kind of that high performer type adrenaline junkie? But now I just, I, it's very opposite, but again, just start somewhere because again, if somebody said I could meditate 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, a few years ago, I would thought they were crazy. What's the most important lesson you've learned, whether it be from your own life or from a book recently? Well, uh, shoot, I don't have the book there. I'm rereading one of my favorite books. I read it every January of every year and it's called the greatest salesman in the world. And scroll number two says that I will treat this day with love. And so, again, it's just a reminder that we can get so caught up in an achievement or success or getting things done or making money or doing our checklist. And, and we forget why we're here. And why we're here is, is to love, to experience life, to, to love life, to love others, to feel love, to, to offer love. And that's where the joy and happiness is. And so anyway, I just keep going back to reminder when I'm really motivated and I love creating all this success and all these different things is to remember like there's no prize. And if at the end of the day, I'm all stuck alone, what's the point anyway? Life is really about the abundance of love. That's a great reminder. Yeah. Now, what drives you to get up in the mornings on the days that you least want to? I just, I love what I do. So for me, like to think, to have this conversation and if there's three little pieces of nuggets that might shift somebody's mindset or change their life, I know I'm there, you know, my work makes some positive imprint on the world. So that's what motivates me is just to get up and, and maybe I can change somebody's life today. Awesome. Now the last question, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? to slow down, quit giving a F F what other people think it's, there's no, there's no t-shirt, there's no race. 
you've got plenty of time and just enjoy the journey. Definitely advice that I, <laughs> I feel like I need to listen to. <laughs> Oh my God, my, I've been just like, just slow down. Just you, you've got your whole life to be successful. Just day by day, just enjoy it and learn. And oh my God, I wasted so much time just trying to speed up life, you know, speed up success. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. How can people find out more about you, your work? Yeah, the best place I just point people, I have a website called christina.com. It's not even a website. I've got freebies. I've got a link, uh, just a free digital copy of my book there, which is called Falling for Money. It's a romance novel for your bank account and learn a lot about what we're, what we're talking about here. I have a an hour webinar that teaches the five fundamental mistakes that people make when it comes to sabotaging their ability to create wealth and abundance. And then there's another download just to how to know your numbers download. So it's Christina with the K and two S's Christina.com. And it's a great place to start. Amazing. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed some of my other episodes, it would be very, very helpful to me if you could share this with your loved ones, share this with your family and friends and give this a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, that would be very, very helpful. Navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward. So if you're a little bit confused as to you know, what things are harmful, is this food good? Is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. Now it's around 70 or 80 pages. And so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effects on your overall health. Because, you know, unlike what many health gurus claim, one thing will not make a healthy person. Multiple things will give you a 1%, a 2%, even a 10% if you're lucky, increase in your overall quality of life. Now that's what I set out to do when I wrote this book. So I cover those top six. I tell you very, very simple things that one, damage your immune health and your overall health. Two, how you can do the appropriate thing based on research, right? And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you, but it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars, even though it is $3 right now on Amazon. That's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, so your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, calm the nervous system all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two. 
or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.